America has never truly escaped the 2016 U.S. presidential election. President Trump regularly likes to bring up his electoral win over Hillary Clinton. The years-long Mueller investigation into Russian election interference is still in the headlines. But to start this episode of Caucus Land, we want you to remember a time before the American people knew Clinton and Trump were going to face off in November of 2016. It's hard to beat an incumbent president. I have just called President Obama to congratulate him on his victory. His supporters and his campaign also deserve congratulations. Mitt Romney couldn't best President Obama. This is a time of great challenges for America, and I pray that the president will be successful in guiding our nation. This is where the Republican Party left things after the 2012 election. The November elections were a big disappointment for Republicans. And the GOP recognized a need to be more inclusive. Exit polling shows the party with a problem attracting young voters and minority groups, even as the nation becomes steadily more diverse. Well, this week, the Republican National Committee is holding its winter meetings in Charlotte, and some soul-searching is on the agenda. Many pundits speculated it was time for maybe another Bush in the White House, with former Florida Governor Jeb Bush seen as a more moderate candidate. In January 2015, a parade of Republicans with presidential stars in their eyes descended on Des Moines for one event. A real estate mogul and reality TV star was among the speakers. So you can't have Romney, he choked. You can't have Bush. And on the Democratic side, it seemed like another Clinton could be the nominee. I'm back! But then a little-known independent senator from Vermont stepped out onto the lawn of the U.S. Capitol to talk with reporters. We happy to take a few questions, but you don't have an endless amount of time. We've got to get back. Bernie Sanders' presidential bid seemed like a long shot. If you try to put together a movement which says we have got to stand together as a people and say that this capital, this beautiful capital, our country belonged to all of us and not the billionaire class, that's not raising an issue. That is winning elections. That's where the American people are. All right, thank you very much. So are you now a Democrat? In 2015, Republicans and Democrats seemed unsatisfied with their expected candidates. American politics were changing. By caucus night of 2016, two seemingly impossible candidates took the parties by storm. And it was all on display, right here in Iowa. I'm Clay Masters. And I'm Kate Payne. And from the newsroom of Iowa Public Radio, this is Caucus Land. I think everybody was sort of like waiting for who's going to unseat Trump, who's going to knock him off the top. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. Donald Trump had talked about running for president for many cycles. In 2015, he announced he was doing it. He flew to Iowa for large events and ditched the normal caucus campaign style, regularly making controversial remarks. God bless the great state of Iowa. Texas Senator Ted Cruz went with the more conventional caucus strategy and won. On the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders was giving Hillary Clinton a serious challenge. It wasn't just about not Hillary. A lot of people here. Thank you. There were a lot of people who loved Bernie Sanders. Three and a half months ago, we just began the campaign. And everybody said that this campaign was a joke. I'm tired of dynasties and I'm tired of of Clintons and Bushes and and I just feel like it's time for a fresh face. American politics is still playing out in the shadow of 2016. When we come back from a quick break, we'll talk about how we got here.
Caucus Land is sponsored by Cornell College and by Gravitate Coworking, providing flexible workspace for freelancers, remote workers, teams, or anyone sending emails from a couch or a coffee shop, including those in Iowa for the caucuses. With premier co-working spaces in downtown Des Moines and Historic Valley Junction, Learn more at gravitatecoworking.com. This is Caucus Land from Iowa Public Radio. Heading into caucus night of 2016, Iowa Democrats were split down the middle. Democratic presidential candidates Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are getting ready for their big night in Iowa. The race has proven to be much closer than many people expected just a few months ago. And both candidates are seeing a lot of enthusiasm right now. The results were too close to call for much of the evening. Some precincts resorted to coin tosses for tiebreakers. And tonight, while the results are still not known, it looks like we are in a virtual tie. Ultimately, Hillary Clinton won the contest with 49.9%. But Sanders was right behind her, down by less than half a point. He built a dedicated following in the state. The once obscure independent senator from Vermont claimed the photo finish as its own kind of victory. As I think about what happened tonight, I think the people of Iowa have sent a very profound message to the political establishment, to the economic establishment, and by the way, to the media establishment. Clinton had poured investments into the state and racked up endorsements. Volunteers were organizing for her two years before the caucuses. She did not want a repeat of 2008 when she came in third in Iowa. And barely pulling off a victory in 2016 showed fault lines in her party. But speaking to supporters on caucus night, Clinton didn't give Sanders much ground. So as I stand here tonight, breathing a big sigh of relief, thank you, Iowa! From the moment she announced her candidacy in April 2015, pundits declared Clinton the de facto nominee. The New York Times predicted the race could be one of the least contested open primaries in the party's history. I'm running for president. Americans have fought their way back from tough economic times, but the deck is still stacked in favor of those at the top. Everyday Americans need a champion, and I want to be that champion. Clinton hoped to avoid the pitfalls of her 2008 campaign. Staffers wanted her to seem approachable and unscripted and to get back to the basics in Iowa, retail politics and grassroots organizing in coffee shops and diners. So I'm hitting the road to earn your vote because it's your time. And I hope you'll join me on this journey. So she hopped in an armored car nicknamed the Scooby Van and soon found it difficult to be spontaneous with a Secret Service detail. It was not... Like, you know, someone slipping in and just going to a coffee shop and 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 greeting voters. It was everything was very carefully um, orchestrated. NPR White House correspondent Tamara Keith was covering the Clinton campaign. It was a challenge from the beginning for the candidate to tour local businesses and meet with Iowa caucus goers among a throng of reporters. Yeah, we see the Scooby van. The, the famous Scooby van is coming down the road right now. This clip from MSNBC of Clinton's first visit to Iowa captured just how closely the media was following her. A mob of reporters went sprinting after her van when it didn't stop where they thought it would. You can see the media running behind me here to chase the Scooby van. Wow. And she's going around to the back. Wow. They're... All right, and we'll see her. We'll see her very soon. Guy in the orange pants is pretty quick. You know, that was that was her first trip to Iowa, was 
somebody in orange pants chasing after the van and um, Hillary Clinton trying to make these like small retail stops uh, to meet with voters, but they were hand-selected voters. There was no serendipity. And then in the end, there were great campaign photos and videos, which kind of maybe was the whole point. Meanwhile, former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley and Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders could slip into a town and show up at a picnic and try to get their message across. The truth is there has been a massive redistribution of wealth in this country from the working families of America to the top one-tenth of one percent. And together, you and I have got to turn that around. Keith says this message about a political and economic revolution was breaking through. He was starting to get larger and larger crowds. That was when you started to say, oh, wait, there there's something going on here. Um, that the event that I went to was really small compared to a bunch of the others that he was having in Iowa, where people were coming from all around to see this guy. One uh, county Democratic chair I talked to said, objects in mirror may be closer than they appear, was his message to the Clinton campaign. Um, after he went to a Bernie Sanders event that was overflowing in a, you know, where more people showed up than the population of the town. To an extent, some caucus goers are still loyal to Senator Sanders today as he crisscrosses the state with nearly two dozen other presidential hopefuls. His supporters see him as consistent. One thing that that stands out now that Sanders is running again is and, and we'll see if this holds the test of time, the loyalty to Sanders among some core of his support never went away. And it's like sea monkeys. He's running for president again, just add water. And he has this very big chunk of support in the Democratic electorate in a field that is really huge and really divided otherwise. Heading into 2020, Bernie Sanders has redefined the policy priorities for the Democratic Party. Universal health care, a $15 minimum wage, talks of free college tuition. Some saw Sanders' platform as radical in 2016, and for some, it's still radical. But for the Democratic field, this platform is becoming mainstream. Hillary Clinton has left a lasting legacy as well. Just one cycle after she became the first female presidential nominee of a major American political party, the Democratic field is the most diverse in history. After a quick break, we'll talk about how the Republicans fared on that 2016 caucus night. Caucus Land is sponsored by Gravitate Coworking and by Cornell College in Mount Vernon, Iowa, where students get a first-in-the-nation hands-on experience with the political process every election cycle. Explore interdisciplinary learning at cornellcollege.edu. Enjoying Caucus Land? Find more coverage of the campaign trail by downloading the Iowa Public Radio app. Learn more about the candidates, read stories about their positions on the issues, and stay up to date on the race to the White House. It just takes a moment to go to the App Store and search for Iowa Public Radio. Your support makes Caucus Land possible. Take a few minutes and donate to IPR. Whether it's $5, $10, or more, your gift is an investment in high-quality journalism. 
It's Caucus Land from Iowa Public Radio. I'm Kate Payne. I'm Clay Masters. In episode two, we talked about how the Democratic Caucus works, where people physically move around the room, try to get deflections and so on. Republicans do it differently. The surrogates still get up and talk about why people should support particular candidates. But then caucus goers cast a secret ballot, basically just writing down the name of their pick on a small piece of paper. And then at the end of the caucus, the results are tallied. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Marco Rubio. Remember that saying that there are three tickets out of Iowa? Well, in 2016, the results were in. Let me first of all say. And ticket one went to. To God be the glory. Ted Cruz, the junior senator from Texas, who had spent a lot of time crossing the state in an RV. Tonight is a victory for courageous conservatives across Iowa and all across this great nation. The Cruz campaign was well organized. He tapped into the state's conservative evangelicals who launched Mike Huckabee to caucus victory in 2008 and Rick Santorum in 2012. Ticket number two went to reality TV star and real estate mogul, now president, Donald Trump. So on June 16th, when we started this journey, there were 17 candidates. I was told by everybody, do not go to Iowa. You could never finish even in the top 10. And I said, but I have friends in Iowa. I know a lot of people in Iowa. I think they'll really like me. Let's give it a shot. They said, don't do it. I said, I have to do it. And we finished second. And I want to tell you something. I'm just honored. I'm really honored. And ticket number three went to Marco Rubio. The senator from Florida came in third and was seen as that potential moderate candidate who could win other states. But back in January 2015, the field was wide open. Do you believe that the next president of the United States is going to be speaking from this stage to you today? That's Iowa Republican Congressman Steve King standing on stage at Hoyt Sherman Place in Des Moines. He was setting up a nine-hour event showcasing Republicans from Ted Cruz to Mike Huckabee to Chris Christie. They were all speaking. Sarah Palin was there. And so was Donald Trump. Every cycle... Forever, it seemed. At some point, we got the story, oh, Donald Trump is thinking of running for president. That's NPR national political correspondent Don Gagne. I am seriously thinking of running for president. Gagne and I were seated next to each other in the press section, and he leaned over to me. And I said, here's one thing I know. This guy won't be in my story tomorrow. (laughs) Now... In my defense, he did ultimately make my story, so I just spoke too soon. Donald Trump was on the bill. Few believe he means it when he says he's thinking, again, about running. He called out Mitt Romney and Jeb Bush, neither of whom attended the event. Trump said Romney had his chance and choked. As for Bush... The last thing we need is another Bush. The star of that event was Scott Walker, the then-governor of Wisconsin. Walker didn't officially announce his candidacy until that summer. The weekend in July that he announced was the same weekend of a multi-candidate event in Ames, where Donald Trump questioned former Republican presidential candidate John McCain's war hero status. There was practically no coverage of Scott Walker's big kickoff weekend in Iowa because Trump stole the spotlight, as he has so many times since, with that statement. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Do you agree with that? He's a war hero because he was captured, okay? 
you can have, and I believe perhaps he's a war hero, but, but right The now, candidates, who were also featured at that event in Ames, condemned the comments. Many thought it was the end of Trump's campaign. Of course, it wasn't. The Des Moines Register's editorial board, the state's largest newspaper, called on Trump to quit the race. That led Trump to start denying the paper credentials to his events. Polls continued to show Trump doing well in Iowa. Most pundits and the political establishment saw Trump's candidacy as a publicity stunt. They seemed in denial of those polls. NPR national correspondent Sarah McCammon covered the Trump campaign. She says it was much different than their run-up to the 2012 Republican caucuses. That's when McCammon was Iowa Public Radio's Morning Edition host covering the Iowa primary race. For one candidate, you know, they'd sort of surge in the polls, have a moment, then sort of dip down. I mean, I think even, you know, Herman Cain with his 999 plan (laughs) had a moment there for a while. And um, it was really hard to predict who was going to win, you know, a few months out. Whereas in 2016, heading into 2016 caucus, um, really, you know, Trump was ahead in the polls for, for most of the time. Trump talked obsessively about polls while campaigning here. With just over a week left until the caucuses, he told this to a crowd in the northwest Iowa town of Sioux Center. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. Really, despite a lot of the early sort of predictions that Trump was going nowhere, he, he had all the signs of a winner um, from fairly early on. Many of the other Republican presidential hopefuls had a difficult dance in Iowa, call Trump out for his remarks, but not insult him outright. I think everybody was sort of like waiting for who's going to unseat Trump, who's going to knock him off the top. Uh, surely that's going to happen. And so who's it, who's it going to be? Maybe it was going to be that eventual third place winner, Marco Rubio, or Jeb Bush, the former Florida governor. I asked Bush about Trump in an October 2015 interview. I noticed as I was coming in here to to speak with you, we're in your West Des Moines headquarters here. There's something sketched above one of the desks that says, how do we combat Trump? (laughs) Is is he hurting this process in the Republican presidential race? You know, it's interesting because one thing he's doing, and you got to give him credit, there are two things I think. uh, I mean, some of the things he says are absolutely divisive, offensive, wrong, and, and not grounded in fact. But I think people admire his political incorrectness. There's a points past which you gotta, you know, stop it. But there's, you know, we're, we're way uptight as a society, and Trump has, you know, I think played a constructive role to get people to lighten up a little bit about the righteousness of everything. Bush said the other thing Trump was doing was boosting TV ratings for the debates. The former reality TV star knew something about getting media coverage. His Iowa caucus campaigning was holding rallies and saying that one thing that would drive the news cycle. And Ted Cruz, who Trump regularly insulted in Iowa, was their party's caucus winner, doing it the conventional Iowa way, extensively organizing your ground game. For Trump, there was almost no staff on the ground here, but he managed to connect with people, and the media couldn't look away. And on caucus night, Trump predicted somewhat accurately what would happen. We will go on to get the Republican nomination, and we will go on to easily beat Hillary or Bernie or whoever the hell they throw up there. Iowa, we love you. We thank you. You're special. We will be back many, many times. In fact, I think I might come here and buy a farm. I love it, okay? Thank you. Thank you, everybody. 
Trump would come back as the nominee, and Iowa, which voted for Obama in 2008 and 2012, went for Trump. He would lose the popular vote to Hillary Clinton, but Iowa's six electoral votes would help him win the Electoral College. Trump filed his re-election papers on Inauguration Day and in June 2019 officially kicked off his re-election campaign at a rally in Orlando, Florida, hitting on the same themes of his 2016 race. He criticized the political establishment and the media as rigged against him, while supporters chanted, lock her up. Meanwhile, some two dozen Democrats can't stop coming to Iowa, competing for an early win to run against these messages Trump first tried out here four years ago. That's where we're going to leave things for this episode of Caucus Land. Next time on Caucus Land, we'll talk about what the 2018 midterm election results in Iowa mean for 2020. But before we go, it's time for our segment called Only in Iowa. We're gathering stories from people who have experienced the caucuses firsthand. Sarah Beckman is the executive producer at WOI Television in West Des Moines. She was a reporter there in 2016 covering the Iowa caucuses. She had this tweet that just exploded. It was just after Christmas. The picture was of former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley, who was running for the Democratic nomination. He was in Tama. Beckman drove there in blizzard conditions. And when she got there... There was one guy and O'Malley's staff, and I think both of them and O'Malley were really shocked to see me. I immediately took a picture, because that's what I usually do whenever I get to an event, take a picture and then start tweeting and start taking notes. And I, I mean, I just need to read the Politico headline that they latched onto your one tweet with the photo of uh, the gentleman in a gray hooded sweatshirt, a ball cap, and uh, a big white beard. The headline says, one person shows up to O'Malley event in Iowa remains uncommitted. Uh, do, you, do you feel like that captured the event well? <laughs> no, I was bummed that, you know, people were skewing this as like, oh, nobody even wants to show up for O'Malley. You know, nobody respects him and stuff. And it was like, that's not what it was about. It was about the fact that everybody had canceled for the day. There was a massive snowstorm. Nobody was going to be there. Yet O'Malley plowed through and this voter did. And that's what the caucus was about. You know, like it captured the the essence of the caucus so well, I thought. You know, the caucuses are about one-on-one -on -one relationships and, again, the access that voters can get to candidates and the dedication that candidates will have to get your vote, you know? All right, we want to hear your Only in Iowa stories. The number to call if you have one, 888-893-2036. Just leave us a voicemail and don't forget to tell us how to get in touch with you. You can also email us your stories, caucusland at iowapublicradio.org or tweet using the hashtag onlyiniowa. Caucus Land is produced by myself, Clay Masters, Kate Payne, and John Pemble, with production support from Jason Burns, Sean McLean, and Nick Brinks. Our music was composed by Garrett Schmidt and performed by Garrett and Aaron James. Our news director is Michael Leland. Our executive producer is Katherine Perkins. Subscribe to Caucus Land wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and share the show. Caucus Land is a production of Iowa Public Radio News.